Let's see if we can go one take. <laughs> You're delaying. You're nervous. What is it? Crouch, pause, <laughs> engage. Christy hasn't played rugby in his life, let alone been in this scrum. <laughs> Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby podcast. G'day everybody and welcome to another edition of the Fox Rugby Podcast. A lot coming up today. We're joined in the studio by injured Wallaby star Reese Hodge. So looking forward to talking all things rugby with him. And as always, my colleague Sam Worthington from foxsports.com.au. How are you, mate? Yeah, good morning, Christy. Uh, good to have you back from Japan, mate. You're looking fit and well in a lovely shirt today as well. Thank you very much. I'm feeling good. Couple of swims, feeling fresh and ready to get into this one. And another man who likes getting his kit off is <laughs> <laughs> you might have seen him walking around, strutting around manly of late. Reese Hodge, thanks for coming in. Yeah, no worries. Good to be here, guys. Good to uh, get out of the sun for a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Straight into the sledging, Christy. It's not a, not yeah, a very I'm professional host approach. And normally you're supposed to introduce the special guest first. <laughs> well, look, you've got, to, you've got to stick to your strengths and your regulars and your, the man that you can rely on through thick and thin, and that's Sam on this occasion. Um, but, uh, Reese, sources tell me yesterday you were down at uh, the Bauer Cafe with, with the shirt off. Um, look... Is there has there been an hour that you haven't had your shirt on since uh, like you picked up the injury a few weeks ago? Yeah, firstly, thanks to Clarky for uh, spilling the beans on that one because I definitely saw him down there, so he's obviously uh, <laughs> put a word in. But um, no, nah, I've been making the most of. I guess the fact that I'm back in in Sydney in Australia for November for the first time in three years, so um, not over with the Moon Town over in the UK. So I guess. You got to uh, make the most of a, of a bad situation. Yeah, the weather at the moment this week with the Wallabies taking on Wales. Uh, I think it's raining and overcast every day, so uh, good to to soak up some of those rays. Um, a few people probably will be thinking, uh, "Why aren't you there?" Explain the the injury for us and how, how you picked it up. Yeah, so last session before we uh, headed off to Japan on the Friday, um, just a bit of a, a training hiccup. Just we'd actually finished all the contact work and. Uh, we were just doing some kind of 15 on 15, um, attack first defense. And I think, uh, Willie Genia was a bit, um, bit worried because I burnt him a couple of times in, at the start of the session. So it came across a bit harder than, uh, than the six, level six contact that we, we've been going at and, uh, came across and landed on the leg. So just jammed it and, and unfortunately picked up a fracture of the tibia down at the bottom. Um, so just went in for, for an opera a couple of weeks ago now. Um, had a screw put in the tib and, uh, a bit of a clean out of the ankle from from an old injury, so hopefully she's good to go for Super Rugby next year. So how long are you going to be out for, do you think, before you can start running and, and have contact? Uh, they're hoping back full training by kind of mid-January at the latest, so um, I guess could be worse. It's only kind of three months um, prognosis at the moment, so I guess good chance to take a bit of a forced rest for, for a few weeks and then get back into it and get into the rehab. It's normally the forwards injuring other blokes at training, isn't it? But Will, Will Guinea this time, is there, the there someone... bloke on the... Yeah. Just about as well. Exactly. Is there someone uh, notorious for, for injuring people at, at training amongst the Rebels or the Wallabies? Uh, I wouldn't say a person in particular. I think what's been notorious lately is Leichhardt Oval. They're naming it uh, Like Hurt. Uh, right. There's been a few injuries there, I guess. On the Friday, we or the Thursday, actually, before me, we lost Gus Cottrell to to an injury there. Um, Isaac Rodder had some stitches put in on the Friday, and 
uh, the previous year before we head off. That was the uh, session that Carmichael had the concussion and Bernard got his ribs uh, slotted, so missed that first test against Japan. So I think we'll be uh, steering clear of Leichhardt um, next year before the tour. Of course, you've been at the Rebels for a few years now, but you're very much a, a manly boy growing up. Has it been nice to to be back home and a bit of, bit of mum's cooking while you're getting around on the crutches? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I think you don't get to uh, experience it and appreciate it too much these days. I'm living my own down in Melbourne, so to have mum looking after me and... Uh, making sure I'm I'm comforting um, has been good the last few weeks and um, hopefully it can con- continue for a few more. I'm talking to Dave today to see when he wants me back, so we'll see how that goes. All right, a lot coming up on the Fox Rugby podcast and, and we'll talk uh, all things Bledisloe and Wales in just a moment. You're listening to the Fox Rugby podcast. So, Reese, uh, the Wallabies and All Blacks uh, a week ago played in Yokohama. You, of course, weren't there. A 37-20 loss for the Wallabies, which meant that the All Blacks had a, a series clean sweep. Firstly, how difficult was it for you watching from a, from afar? Uh, yeah, it was obviously quite frustrating, but it's probably something that's quite new to me over the past three years. I don't think of uh, uh, the only test that I've missed since I debuted was was the France game where a few of us were arrested and, and I was in the stand watching at the time. So it was a bit of a weird old experience and uh, definitely would have rather been out there. But, um, yeah, I guess it was just one of those games where I guess it's, it's pretty similar to has has been of late in that you kind of think you're in the game against the All Blacks and kind of that 50 to 70 minute mark. Um, I guess whether it's a couple of things not going our way or just a couple of momentary lapses kind of cost us. So, um, yeah, it was frustrating watching on and obviously disappointing for the boys because I know how hard they've been working and, and how well they started that 30 minutes, especially in defence. So, um, yeah, a disappointing result, but I think uh, back of the boys against Wales this weekend. Yeah, there definitely were some defensive improvements for a lot of that game, weren't there? What did you notice? Were there some tactical tweaks that, that Nathan Gray and the guys were working on for that? Uh, I think in our defensive system, I think over the past kind of 12 months, you've seen when we've actually defended the best is when we've gone aggressive and, and really brought that line speed and not allowed, I guess, the, the third and fourth guy from the end, the time and space to play with the ball. And I think the fact that we kind of um, conceded a few tries off turnovers in the first two blooders lows, we probably fell about a bit into the habit of um, probably going a bit softer and, and trying to solve out the defence, um, giving the attack a bit more space and time. And I think we kind of, through training on that Thursday and Friday and being in camp, we kind of discussed it. And, and as a group, um, we definitely feel better and I guess play better when we go for that aggressive kind of light speed defence. And I think that was on show in the first, I guess, 40 to 50 minutes on the weekend. It was just a shame that I guess probably a couple of Turnovers and, and lapses again probably cost a couple of tries. Yeah, I, th- I think that I know that from a, a journo's perspective, we were all talking amongst us at halftime, thinking, well, the Wallabies usually it's, it's the five minutes either side that the All Blacks, you know, put the hammer down and, and they score points, which is what they did in, in Sydney and in Auckland to, to skip ahead and then eventually go go right clear and beyond. The, that that wasn't the case though in Yokohama. The Sefanai Valley scores late, so that's great momentum going into halftime. And then the next ten minutes after halftime, the Wallabies actually kind of dominate, but only get a penalty on the board. Um, Rob Simmons going over the line, unfortunately, not being able to put the ball down. But 
So clearly um, some improvements there. Uh, I think the defence, the All Blacks scored um, a couple of tries in the, in the first half, but that came after some sustained long periods of, of good defence from the Wallabies. Um, what do you think it is, though, that the All Blacks just have that ability to go in that last half an hour to really uh, take and hammer home the advantage? It, it, can you feel the momentum shift when you're on the, on the field? I don't know if it's necessarily a momentum shift. I think um, we've talked a lot about this at the Rebels. I think the fact that possibly because we haven't had much success over the kind of past decade in those crunch moments, I think it's a lot of it is mental. I think obviously they're, they've done it so many times that, that they're going to back themselves and be confident that if they, I guess, stick to what their game plan is and what they've been doing for the first sort of 50, then eventually the other team will crack. And we're obviously trying to combat that and and make sure that we're not the team to crack and we're the team to crack them. So I think it's uh, it's definitely trying to create the, the habit of winning and, and winning those big moments in games that we're trying to get through. And at the moment, unfortunately, it's uh, not quite going our way. But I guess uh, building on from that last Bledisloe test last year, I think in those crunch moments we were a lot better and we learned our lessons from that Dundee game. Um, so it's obviously disappointing for, I guess, to go backwards in those big moments this year. But... I think it's something that if we can work on and, and really nail, I guess, in the, the three remaining tests this year and, and going into the, I guess, rugby championship next year, then it's going to stand us in good stead for the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're a young bloke, 20, 24. Like, you grow up, and, and I'm, I'm pretty young myself, you grow up and you see the All Blacks have dominated for so long. Does uh, Sure, there's a couple of really experienced guys there, like Will Genier and, and now ASC back in the frame. But even them, they haven't tasted success. Does that start to to filter through, thinking, geez, it's been a long time since you can remember a, a win, let alone a series win over the All Blacks? Uh, yeah, I think for me, ever since I've I've been in, we, we haven't held the blood as low and I haven't tasted success. And it's the same for, I guess, mostly guys in the squad now. And it's extremely frustrating, I think, as it is for the Australian population and um, for all our fans. And I think... We're working so hard to kind of overturn it, and I don't think we're too far away. I think obviously um, the, the fans can get a bit disappointed, and obviously want those wins as much as we do. And I think the message to all of them out there is that it's it's not that far away. There's these small margins, obviously, in Test rugby that that kind of cost you. And um, I think the the squad's not too far away from making those minor tweaks and and really, uh, I guess, bringing home the Blues low next year, hopefully. Yeah, just following on from that, we had check in here what was a month, a little bit longer, Very six, six weeks ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, talking about that and saying he he thought that the players were a little bit sort of uh, hamstrung by that fear of failure and copying it from the outside and all, and all all those external forces. Like, is there anything you can do as a playing group? Do, do you have any sort of psychologist or mental skills coach to to help with that? Or I guess every player has a different approach to how they how they deal with those issues. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's individually, but also as a group, I guess, as you said, um, the fact that there are those external pressures shouldn't really make too much of a difference. I would say it'd be more the fact that we want to win so bad. We probably sometimes test the, the boundaries a little bit, and that's probably what costs us, those those guys, minor offloads when we're on attack and mounting pressure and trying to finish it with that one play when it's not necessarily on the 50-50, um, you're probably better off holding it and then and trying to get them on the next phase. I think there's that kind of the fact that when you haven't won for so long, you're, you're trying so hard and potentially too hard sometimes that it actually um, becomes to your detriment. So um, that's probably something that 
I guess it's it's tough to kind of correct in the moment and know when an offload is on and it's going to be an awesome try versus when potentially you can't see a support player or um, there's someone in the way and, and it'd be better to go to ground and kind of finish off in the next phase. And I think that's what, um, as much as I hate saying it, it's probably what the All Blacks are quite good at and, and they've kind of developed over time. They know when to, to press home the advantage and, and try and finish it with one kind of swift move versus when to hold on and, and mount that pressure because defensively in test matches, when you're defending for 15, 20 phases, the, the odds of you cracking, uh, I guess, if, if the other team holds the ball increase, the more the phases go on. So it's probably something that we've got to work on. Yeah, we saw that happen quite a few times over in Yokohama and I think even in the second half with Sam McCrabb, you made a, a big line break out on the right-hand side and then I think Caleb Petty tried to push the offload off the ground and uh, unfortunately it goes to ground. Um, a couple of good things, though, came out of that, the returns of, of Jack Dempsey and, and Karevi. Um, I suppose for you, having played outside centre a fair bit recently and, and Samu being an outside centre and, and have played, he wore the 13 jersey throughout the Irish series, do you sit back and go, gee, he's like... I want to be starting regularly and and 13 was something that I was starting to get my head around and here's a bit more competition. I think it's great for the squad, I think. Um, personally, I'm great friends with Samu and I love having him on my team because you, you saw what he could do on the weekend and the way that he can change games and, and really, I guess, um, get you on that front foot um, in attack and, and he's obviously worked on his defence a fair bit lately as well, um, trying to, I guess, be more dominant in that area. So um, for me personally and I guess for, for everyone watching, it's great to see him back and obviously playing some great footy. Um, I think we, we've talked a lot about the competition with the squad and the fact that guys who have played kind of 20, 30 tests sitting on the bench is a good thing for the team and the squad as a whole. So um, it would be very selfish for me to say um, I want to be out there instead of him and why can't he be on the sidelines? So he's uh, had his fair share of injuries this year and it's great to see him back and, and hopefully he can... Uh, finish off the last three tests with a bang. Yeah. One of your great assets is your versatility. You probably get sick of journos asking what's your favourite position, et cetera, et cetera. But was it nice to have that extended run at out, outside centre? Obviously a shame that Samu and, and Tavita were out. But did you yeah, get into a bit of a rhythm playing there? And then how do you see that going forward in terms of your positions? Yeah, I did enjoy, I guess, the, the continuity plan, I guess, playing and training a few weeks, um, in the same spot. I think you develop those combinations and I guess it's the intricacies of each position that you probably lose when you're switching every week. And, um, to be able to play 13, especially in defense for kind of six weeks in a row, um, was definitely, I guess, beneficial. And I, I felt more and more comfortable there each week. I guess in saying that, I, I did, um, attack sometimes at 13 and sometimes on the wing. So I like, guess there wasn't necessarily that continuity in, in the way I was lining up into tack. So, um, yeah, it, I really enjoyed the, the past six weeks. And, um, obviously it's unfortunate that now on the sideline, but I guess it's a chance to rest up the body now and come back next year. What was the biggest thing, sorry, mate, that, that you learnt from, from playing there week in, week out at, at 13? Everyone says it's the hardest position to play probably in the back line. So what, what, things did you take away from that experience uh i think defensively when to as i was talking about before when to kind of go hard and, and try and dominate the collision and then i guess when to to try and link with my insides when we're probably short on numbers um i guess probably in the the first couple of the blooders lows um there are probably a couple of occasions where um probably had to learn from my mistakes a little bit um in terms of trying to bring that dominant and aggressive line speed at all times when it wasn't necessarily on so I think for me um, obviously you're not going to learn unless you 
learn from those real-time examples and, and obviously make the mistakes both in training and, and games and, and be able to rectify them. So um, it's unfortunate. It's the way the game is, unfortunately. So you can't be perfect all the time. But um, I did feel that kind of by the third, fourth, fifth, sixth games, I was very confident, I guess, with not only the guys around me in defence, but also individually and making the right decisions most of the time. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. All right, we'll move away from the All Blacks because there's no point talking about defeats for as long as we, we have uh, a team that we've had a lot of. Australia's had a lot of success against in since 2008. Is Wales' 13 match winning streak at the moment? What do you put that down to? Yeah, I don't know. I guess it could be similar to I guess us in New Zealand. I think the the nature of the matches, I guess, especially since I've been involved, is always been close and kind of back and forth and especially when the the crowd gets behind them over at Millennium or I think it's Principality now it's uh yeah it's it's very daunting as an overseas team and a visiting team so uh, I don't think we've really had any easy wins against them over the past few years and um, we've definitely had to grind a few out so I don't know what it is I don't know what to put it down <laughs> to to be honest but um obviously it's good to I guess have a bit of success over a team. The, the, that that Cardiff atmosphere looks awesome. Is that where does that rank um, in terms of the best stadium experiences that you've had in your career so far? Yeah, that'll be up there. I'd say probably either top three or top five. Um, okay, well, what's your top three, top five? Well, see, I think Manly Oval. <laughs> yeah, Manly Oval. That's one. Uh, um, I think it's it's a bit of a double edged sword. I say this to people. I think the the best experiences I've had overseas are when we're losing because they're obviously getting behind their home team and and it's louder and, and a better atmosphere. So um I would say Murrayfield last year um would would have been up there and and the year before when we kinda came home and won at the end. Um Twickenham's obviously probably in the top five as well. I think last year especially when they had the chance going towards the end of the game. Um but even Pretoria when it's packed is uh pretty hard to beat as well and Paul Elizabeth this year was pretty amazing as well so I think uh, Australian crowds probably need to pick up the uh, noise a little bit to, to match some of the I guess parochial overseas crowds that we get and uh, I think it's a it's an absolute pleasure to play over in the UK and, and Europe and, and see how they get behind their team and try and lift them up when they're down and, and try and ram home that advantage when they're in front. I forget who it was, but it was a former Wallaby international anyway who who said that often I think visiting teams they don't feel like they're necessarily playing away because because you know, the Australian audiences don't tend to to have those songs like the the Twickenham faithful do or up in Scotland and the, and the singing and the and the and the chanting that goes on there. Um, did anyone catch the, the the young man throughout the the Welsh national anthem just adoring his his beer? That was. That was pretty good. Um, what's your What's your favourite drop? <laughs> Jeez, um, I'm not a huge beer drinker, to be honest. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm have to th- think about that one and get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great little video, though, wasn't it? I've seen you looking at a um, a half full schooner in that sort of way at around two a.m. Christy, you get pretty pretty loving towards your, your alcohol. I think everyone does. You know, <laughs> sometimes it's a, it's a bubbles as well, but um, mm. uh, that was that was that was that was gold, and I'm, I'm glad that one did the rounds. Um, so so Wales this weekend. Uh, what do you expect the Wallabies to go in and into into the match? How do you think that they'll go? Um, clearly, there's been a lot of pressure 
probably internally, but especially externally. Three from ten, the Wallabies are this year. So clearly not good enough. But um, the Wallabies, though, they'll probably go in there with a lot of confidence given the success that they've had over Wales in, in, in recent years. Yeah, I think so for sure. And I think uh, to be able to take, I guess, a lot of that first half performance last week um, into this week. And obviously, as you said, we've, I guess, had the wood over Wales over the past few years. It's not going to mean too much from once we get into the game. But the fact that we can go in with confidence as a squad um, and really try to, I guess, key off the game well and um, get that confidence going is, is definitely a positive for us. And um, I think we'd be definitely... Um, try not to do too much. I think, obviously, when you're striving for that win, um, as I said before, you, you're trying to push those passes and, and try a bit too much sometimes. So I think uh, if we, if we just go in and and back the way that we played last week and the little uh, I guess improvements that we've made and, and try and maintain those improvements, then it's going to go a long way to getting us the win. Check was experimenting a fair bit with the the back line, particularly um, throughout the rugby championship. Did the did you feel playing uh, outside centre that the side was a bit more comfortable when Bernard came back at, at 10? Yeah, I think it's it's back to those combinations. I think um, the way that you are as a team, when you have a stable, I guess, 9, 10, 12, um, you get used to playing with each other, the forwards get used to playing with them, it makes a bit of a difference. And I think um, it's nothing against the way that Kirtley and, and Matt combined, I think is the, the pure fact that they only had kind of two games together or one and a half kind of games together. Um, I, I would say probably the team feels a little bit more comfortable with, with not at 10 just purely because of the fact that he's been there so many times before and it's it's that familiarity. So, um, yeah, it's tough for me to comment on uh, who I guess necessarily prefer playing outside of, but um, with a core group of, of 10s and 12s with Nard. Um, Matty T and, and KB, you're pretty well looked after there and I think they're all capable of directing the team around the park and um, really, uh, I guess, taking control of the team as a, as a 10 and 12 should. The spring tour, a great chance for team bonding, of course, and uh, building building those connections uh, less than a year out for the, the World Cup. Um, your highlights from, from spring tours and who, who did you get roomed with uh, over in last year's tour? Oh geez, looking back, um, I think I was with with Carmichael last year, right. so it was a uh, good entertainment value and good roomy. Um, I he's think quite a uh, he's quite a deep thinker, isn't he? A bit of a philosopher, Carmichael on on Twitter. Did he have any pearls of wisdom for you? <laughs> yeah, he's a uh, he's a deep thinker. He's also a bit of a comedian and right. has a bit of a laugh. So is that good balance? I guess of the roomy, you don't want to be too serious all the time, or sometimes you want to just chill out to yourself and and kind of have a bit of space as well. So no, it was a good dynamic there. It was a good roomy. Um, David Pocock's been causing a, a real sensation with the, some of his African music around the the traps when I was covering you guys in, in Brisbane. I think Brandon Payangamosa was loving his African music. Is he still still delivering that? Yeah, I haven't actually room with Poe. I okay. think uh, the uh, Islander boys usually get on the uh, speakers at, on the bus and training, so we don't really get to, I guess, experience too much other music. But um, I think Poe, I guess, well, obviously is Zimbabwean roots and um, I guess getting into those the African tunes is sort of a bit of a crossover to what some of the Islander boys like as well, a bit of upbeat and um, trouble music. So it's actually uh, really enjoyable to, to hear it on the bus and um, get a bit different to the old top 40 that you usually hear <laughs> from uh, back here in Australia. So, no, nah, it's really good. If, if there's someone that you don't want to room with, who would it be or who's, who's the worst that you've had? Um, 
Well, usually boys are saying like snorers at the top, like you're not, obviously you don't want snorers, um, especially the loud ones, but I'm actually a pretty heavy sleeper. So I sometimes get paired up with the snorers and I actually go all right. So um, I wouldn't say there's really anyone that's uh, on the no-go list for me at the moment. I haven't really come across too many bad ones, which is good. That's it's a real strength that's uh, got to help your selection case if you're willing to, <laughs> to room with anyone. Even the Who's the worst snorer reputation-wise in the world of these? I think Taft's got the uh, reputation yeah, okay. as worst snorer, but I've successfully roomed with him a couple of times. So, yeah, come at me, you're other a, snorers. <laughs> you're a dream, coach's dream. <laughs> so Taft coming back, actually, as well as AAC, Adam Ashley Cooper. Um, two two well, opposite ends of the spectrum there with Adam Ashley Cooper, 116 tests, 34, and a youngster, Jordan Pattaya, coming in who's, who's 18 and, and yet to make his debut, but in line to be the third youngest Wallaby of all time should he make his debut on this spring tour. What uh, You would have come up against Jordan, um, but what do you think of, of Adam's return and, and what could he add to the Wallabies? Yeah, I think it's great that he's back. I think speaking of Jordan, the, I guess, wisdom and, and experience and um, that, that Adam can... Um, share with Jordan is, is going to be awesome for him. Uh, I think you'll probably see the the benefits next year in Super Rugby. I think he's just going to go from strength to strength, and um, yeah, it's just amazing to to look at him as an athlete, as an eighteen year old, and how physically developed he is, and how much skill he has, and I guess the possibilities are endless for him. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him as an, an Australian player, an Australian fan, to see what he can do. Um, hopefully, if he gets a chance this tour or um, even just from a learning capacity and to be able to take that into Super Rugby next year will be awesome and I think Adam's an integral part of that. Yeah, and, and you made your test debut against the All Blacks coming off the bench and, and Adam got injured early in the game, very early, I think in the inside the first 10 minutes or so. Um, throughout that, so clearly you didn't take the field with him, but throughout that week and those couple of weeks leading into the, into the Bledisloe, what did, you, um, what, what did Adam pass on or, or was there anything in particular that stood out? Yeah, I guess the fact that it was a bit of a crossover there um, with me coming on for him and um, all my pre- tests following that, he, he wasn't there. Um, I guess probably didn't have too much of a chance to kind of go up to him and, and be as much of a sponge as I, I would have liked, but just watching him in action and the way he went about things at training um, was pretty awesome for me to watch. Obviously, I was a rugby fan before I was playing at this level and to be able to play with guys like him who I admired and looked up to on TV and training on a daily basis was an awesome experience when I first came into the squad. And um, I guess like I've tried to do with, with people like Quaid and, and Bernard previously playing 10 um, to be able to kind of soak up as much knowledge and I guess firsthand watch guys like AAC train um, day in, day out was was awesome for me. And hopefully I've uh, been able to take a little bit from, from the way you played the game. Mm. Just sticking with the back line there, there's some real speedsters in the Wallabies camp at the moment with like some Marika and Sefa and, and Jordan and those guys. Who's the who's the quickest, do you reckon, um, kicking about in the Wallabies at the moment? Did Have you done any testing lately? Yeah, Marika hands down. I think when, when we get the GPS reports after every training, usually the boys are kind of hovering the low to mid nines and he's always hitting that 10 mark um, metres a second. So, yeah, he's uh, definitely the quickest. That's right, because uh, when we were in, in, in Yokohama and uh, Sefer was named on the on the Thursday for his first test in a year, which was great to see, and, of course, he scored the, the opening try for the Wallabies in that test match, he, he was rather um, softly spoken and he said that he had run the 100 previously at 10.5 seconds, which is lightning, but 
uh, he he said that yeah, Marika was was the quickest. I don't think anyone believed him because ten point five is rapid. Yeah. Um, but that's that's serious gas, and and the Wallabies do need some of that speed out in the fringes. You look at Rico Yuani for the all the blacks and what, what he can do when he's given a bit of space. So hopefully he was, he was no match for Cam Clark though. He bloody caught him down pretty easily at uh, Super Rugby level. True. Yeah. Down at Brookie, unfortunately, you wouldn't have been there, but. Um, Reese, but that was something to, to witness, yeah. actually, wasn't it? Yeah, and what, what about in the gym, mate? Who's pushing the biggest tin? Obviously, the Fords probably have that covered. Yeah, I think the Fords, I think we usually kind of split for gym, so we don't really get to witness the uh, big lifts that they always talk about afterwards. But um, I think uh, Scotty Seo and Alan kind of pride themselves in the gym, but Taniella would be probably got hard to go past for king of the gym. Does yeah. anyone surprise you, like anyone that punches above their weight? I'm trying to think. Um, Will Gennio loves a bench. Um, I don't know how he goes with the squatting deads and everything like that, but <laughs> putting him on the bench press, he's definitely punching well above his weight there. Um, so, yeah, big chest. I'll give you a rap there, Willie, if you're listening. <laughs> thanks thanks for injuring me, but uh, I'll give you, give you a rap anyway. No, nah, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't talk about him injuring me because he, he felt pretty bad at the time it happened. And yeah. Obviously, it's a part of training and a part of the game, so... Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Willie. Okay, before we move on to uh, touching upon next year with Super Rugby, uh, so this week, what do we think is going to happen? Maybe start with you, Sammy. Uh, Wales have much improved this year, a slightly different style of rugby under Warren Gatlin, uh, attacking a little bit more. Um, George North back into some serious form. Uh, Gareth Anscombe played 10 on the weekend and, and is pushing Dan Bigger for selection. Um, where do you see the game being won and lost and, and who might come out on top? Yeah, it's interesting. Wales have taken a bit of a different approach to this year. Like normally, they play a, a Southern Hemisphere team straight away in, in November. So, like they'll play a, a South Africa, Australia, All Blacks, and um, you know they they have to come in cold a little bit in, in November. And traditionally, I think they've they've lost that opening game and then struggle, you know, from from then on to get any momentum. So this time they picked out Scotland. or said we'll play against you and managed to knock them over. So they're feeling pretty pretty confident about their chances I think so that's probably quite a, a good move on their part but look I think history shows that if the Wallabies play out their potential they, they do have what it takes to, um, to to get the job done and I think most of the guys are available unfortunately you're injured but I think everyone else has got a pretty clean bill of health um, yeah, Adam Coleman back yeah exactly so and I think scrum time that's going to be a great battle I think the Wallabies have shown that you know with, with Taniella in, in the mix there that they can get the better of opponents, so yeah. Look, I think if they play to their potential, no reason why they can't continue that that streak for the the poor old Welsh. They'll be they'll be staring into their beers and and um, yeah, singing sad songs. Well, do you, do you see either Adam Ashley Cooper or, or Jordan getting a, a position in the in the twenty three? Uh well, I'd say probably one of those two will be on the bench. Um, just just to guess, maybe Samu to start, and then then one of those two um, on the bench to cover. Maybe maybe Ashley Cooper for this one, and then and then Jordan might get his chance against Sidley a week later. Would would make sense to me? What, what about you, Reese? I'm sure you're going to say that the Wallabies are going to win, but where where do you think that they need to make the the biggest improvements, or just um, yeah, where where do they need to fire? Yeah, I think the way we we played in that second half against Argentina, and I guess parts of the game against New Zealand on the weekend. Um, in terms of the positives from our attack, I think the big boys carrying through the middle of the field and, and consistently making that advantage line makes it so much easier for for us as a back line to, to really capitalise on that advantage. And I think, uh, yeah, that, that's probably going to be where the, the game's won and 
the the consistency of doing that, not just doing it sort of two or three times a half. I think doing it every single time, it's easier said than done, but um, is is going to be a massive thing for us. Yeah, those forwards have been encouraged yeah. to to play through the middle and offload as well. We saw Scott Sia, Al Alatoa, um, as well. So they're all being encouraged to to do that to 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 go direct and then and then ball play off that as well. Yeah, they are encouraged. I think that they're working on their skills every single week, every single day at training and. I guess trying to, I guess, have that advantage over other teams in, in the forward pack. And, um, I think the, the element of being able to carry tip dummy or, or pull the ball out the back to a playmaker. I think when we're consistently making the right decision and, and those skills continually improving, I think that's going to be huge for our game going forward. And hopefully it's something over the next three weeks that we see, um, the forwards take to new heights. I, I spoke to Will Genia post All Blacks, Bledisloe three, and he said that recently the, the Wallabies had gone back to what they were doing previously before the Irish series where they were perhaps trying to catch the Irish out on the on the fringes and they were really emphasising the idea of width. Hmm. At what point in time did you think that, hey, this isn't quite working what we're doing and we need to straighten up a little bit more and get the forwards involved? Yeah, I think we had a, uh, a bit of a strategy against the Irish um, in June to... I guess take the the width and take the space when they presented it. They were, I guess, usually quite tight in defence, and usually where we'd play kind of two phases to get through the middle and then try and attack from there. We were kind of going after one phase to try and get it to the width and get the ball in our outside backs hands nice and early and and let them take the space down the edge. And I think against teams that probably aren't as tight as Ireland in defence, it wasn't working quite as well. So I think what Willie's referring to there is is definitely as I was talking about before, we're trying to get the forwards to carry a little bit more through the middle and, and not, I guess, have them running around like headless chooks trying to um, make breakdowns when the back's are taking it wide. So it's about using the, the strengths of our game and the strengths of our forward pack and then allowing our backs to, to release from there. Yeah, certainly. I thought Scott Sayer particularly was outstanding in that in that third Bledisloe. All right, we'll get stuck into some super rugby now. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. All right, so we're still firmly in the thick of things with international rugby, but Super Rugby will come up pretty quickly. And for you, Reese, that's exciting because you'll be making your return uh, for the Rebels. Um, a couple of Twitter questions. Put the call out yesterday, and a few people have come in and are wanting to ask some questions. So let's uh, let's just start with Joe Triscothic. Uh, I don't think he's any relation to the former England opening batsman, uh, but. He's asked, ask him where all the Rebel backs are going to line up next season. I'm sure you probably don't know yet, but, but it's a pretty tasty looking, uh, side that's, that, that, uh, Dave Vessels has, has put together. And, um, with Matt Tamua coming later in the season, Quaid joining, um, where do you think you'll be playing? I think I can't actually give a, an answer at the moment. I haven't spoken to Dave at length yet about it. Um, but, I think, as I was talking about before, within the Wallabies squad, I think the competition's only going to be positive for us in terms of results. Um, I think Dave's obviously made a lot in the media about um, people working hard and talent's not going to be enough to, to get you a spot in this team. So I think if uh, everyone buys into that kind of chat, then it's going to be positive for us as a squad. And um, yeah, I'm excited to, to be playing outside and, and inside so many world-class players within the back line. The, the Rebels this year, clearly you finished the season playing 10 and before that, 
We had um, Jack Debrasini, who, by the way, uh, one of the great numbers in terms of podcast numbers, uh, people were getting amongst Jack Debrasini, which... Very popular. Very popular. Um, Was the female audience getting around him or something? Possibly. I don't know that. But um, what do you think Quaid will will do for the side particularly? Because he's the bloke who's played 70 test matches for Australia, uh, clearly didn't play this year at all, um, perhaps hasn't had the same spark since his an explosion uh, since his knee injury in 2011, but he's still got a lot to offer, doesn't he? Yeah, for sure. I think we, we talked a lot about, um, I guess, the experience head that he's going to bring to the squad and I guess talking about those those big moments in games that probably cost us against the All Blacks um, in, in the Bledisloe, he's someone that's experienced um, 70 games worth of those at, at the highest level as well as more than 100 at, at Super Rugby level. So um, despite his talent, which is obviously great for us as, as a team and a back line, um, just being able to, I guess, lean on that experienced head and um, have him, I guess, mentor some of the younger and less experienced guys in our squad um, in terms of how to get the best out of them, then it's going to be positive for us as a team. And um, personally, I can't wait to, to play outside quite. Is he a bit of a misunderstood character? Like he's quite divisive amongst the public. People love to seem to put the boot into him, um, but he seems pretty popular amongst the, the players. What, you know, what, what's your experience of, of Quaid? Yeah, I guess I've only known him for probably three years. And, and by the time I met him, he, he'd probably gone through um, and made his mistakes and, and learned from him and, He's always struck me as someone who's who's quite mature, um, both on and off the field now, and um, obviously still loves to have a, a laugh and have some fun off it. But um, in terms of the, the type of bloke he is, I've uh, got no qualms whatsoever. And yeah, he's one of the, my good mates within the squad. Mm. Ben Darwin, former Wallabies mm. prop, has asked the integration of the Force Rebel players. Uh, next year, third element of the old Queensland nine ten. Um, yeah, Willie Jean and Quade Cooper. Uh, coming back, so the, the force, obviously a lot of players coming across um, and with Quade and Will, how do you think everything's going to go now in terms of the, the culture of the side and, and the combinations and um, the cohesion I suppose? Yeah, I think by the time us Wallabies came back in kind of mid-Jan before this season it was already very integrated as a squad and I think that was testament to the, the work that Dave and um, I guess some of the Force and Rebels players had done throughout November and December and I guess bringing the team together and um, really buying in to, to getting to know people personally rather than, I guess, just being a, an amalgamation of two squads. Um, I think throughout the year, obviously, we, we grew tighter, um, went through the highs and lows of the Super Rugby season together and the guys that are still here um, next year um, will obviously be better for that, for, for having done that this season and Obviously, the guys coming in, I think you can't really call it a Force and Rebels squad anymore. It's it's the Rebels, and we've got a few ex-Force guys playing for us and a few guys from, from other teams all around the world. And I think uh, the title we can get as a squad and, and get on the same page quickly um, this preseason, it's going to do us uh, a world of good for the season. All right, and the next question comes from Thomas English. Now, I don't think this is the Tom English who um, is obviously <laughs> I think club captain. Is he still? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's a Thomas English, uh, a rival English. He asks, the Rebels have had a star-studded roster for a few seasons now. How do they convert that into on-field success? Uh, I think we've had, obviously, yeah, quite a few stars come through the squad and we've definitely had the firepower to get the results. But I think if you look at the squad over the past kind of few years, it's still been very young. And 
I guess, what you would class as inexperienced um, at both Super Rugby and, and Test level. Um, so I think the fact that we've got guys now who, who are still young but have got that experience and, and know, um, I guess, what works and what doesn't work at Super Rugby and Test level, I think that's going to be beneficial for us going into next year. And I guess having some of those mature, older and experienced heads as well amongst some exuberance and, and youth is going to be good for us, and, and both in terms of the way we play the game and, and the results we kind of get. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited for next year. Yeah, and you, you personally, you're pretty young, but you've had a lot of experience under your belt already. Do you f- find yourself uh, having more of a voice, more comfortable around trainings and meetings to, to contribute and help help lead the way? Because there's, you know, guys are coming through like 18, 19, aren't they? So I guess you, you can play a part there. Yeah, for sure. I think um, coming in, I was, I was very obviously very daunting coming in as a kind of 19, 20-year-old into a professional setup and... Um, you very quickly realise that the guys that you think are experienced and old are only sort of 22, 23, 24 anyway. So mm-hmm. I guess it's the nature of the professional game these days. It's it's getting younger and younger, the entry age. And I guess if you're, if you're good enough, you're old enough. So, um, yeah, I guess for me personally, I've obviously uh, experienced a, a fair bit over the past few years and um, tried, I guess, help the young guys out with that and, and try to be more of a leader within the squad. And I guess the past couple of years at, at the Rebels and Wallabies have tried to, I guess, learn as much as I could off the, the older heads and, and the, I guess, main leaders in the squad and try to, I guess, make that transition from, from one of the guys that's learning to someone who can start teaching. Okay, la- last one. This is a bit of a quirky one. I quite like it, though. Um, from Craig, who's sporting a Western Force Photo, uh, thanks to your question. Uh, what he thinks about the instant before his foot hits the ball for that 50-metre-plus goal attempt, um, what tips other than practice should he give to young aspiring kickers? Good question, Craig. Mm. Yeah, so for me... Um... Because the stories from you slotting him from 70 at Manly over were infamous. Firstly, was that true? Uh, yeah, it was a bit windy, but it was true, yeah. <laughs> it's on video, Christy. You can see it. It's not, not bloody Photoshop. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess for me, I've always been someone who, um, despite, I guess, having the, the ability to kick the ball um, from from long distance, um, you always, in your head, think that it's going to come up short, so you want to probably try and kick it a little bit too hard. So for me, something that I've been working on, I guess, with Mick Byrne, um, the wallaby skills coach over the past couple of years is really trying to slow down the approach to to the ball especially on those long range ones and and really trust trust the guess the process of the kick rather than trying to belt the uh belt the crap out of it when you get there um i think um it, yeah i'm more than comfortable if i go through my process and fall up short from from 55 um, but have done everything that i do in practice and and trusted the process then that's fine but if i go to belt the crap out of it and end up shanking it, then I don't forgive myself very easily. So I would say just um, obviously the practice at training is important and being able to get into a rhythm that, that you can trust come game day um, and then just trusting it once you get there and not trying to do too much. Do you have mixed feelings about the long range thing? Because obviously it looks like great fun being able to smack it over from there, but a lot of games you only get asked to take the tough ones from 60 metres out or whatever. You don't get the, the easy conversions from out in front, which isn't great for the stats, is it? So how, how do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, I think I've come to terms with the fact that percentage isn't going to be uh, yeah. up there amongst the highest in, in Test Rugby. Um, but in saying that, um, yeah, I love taking them and um, the whole point of practice is to to make those kicks high percentage and, and not low percentage kicks. So that's why I'm 
always practicing from from out there at training and um if I just went and took conversions all training and then just come game time got asked to kick long range and I wouldn't be prepared so it's something that I've got got to make part of my game that one that you slotted against the All Blacks in Bledisloe 3 last year that is that your career highlight at this stage uh yeah I'd say so I think winning the game um I guess a couple of minutes after that was uh probably more of a career highlight but um yeah personally it was a it was a pretty rewarding moment I guess I talked a lot about after that game the fact that I probably hadn't held up my um end of things from from actually putting long range kicks over up to that point so I'd had a fair few attempts but for, but not many successful so to be able to I guess land that goal at that time and and help help us get the win was uh pretty special and we all know guys um, love mucking around at the end of trainings and having shots of goal if they're even props or, or whatnot. Is there anyone that's uh, a bit of a dark horse that can actually kick goals pretty well that we might not expect? Um, yeah, Izzy Folau actually hits them pretty well. Um, He's had a couple of attempts in Super Rugby, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he has, yeah. yeah. Um, but before he kind of had this um, period off for, for family reasons, Luke Hunt too, he actually hits them quite well as well. So um, Watch out. You never know, maybe third string at the Reds next year. Possibly. He's yeah. a big uh, – he dabbles in his music too as well, yeah. um, Luke Hunt, so he seems like a jack-of-all-trades really. Absolutely. Um, you, you touched upon Mick Byrne there in terms of your process. A lot of people probably, you know, they always want this success, immediate success, and he's a bloke that's come over from – well, obviously he started in Australia, but he spent more than a decade with the All Blacks and, and New Zealand rugby loves Mick Byrne. Uh, perhaps those skills haven't been, you know, displayed all the time um, uh, at the at the level that Australian audiences might want. But Mick, in terms of his influence and uh, how how important has he been for for the Wallabies in Australian rugby? Because he's actually national skills coach. Yeah, I think you're starting to see the the benefits of of him as a coach and the stuff that he's brought in with the forwards, especially. I think just trying to upskill our forwards and not only provide them with the opportunity to develop those skills, but also encourage them to start using them in games. I think over the past sort of 18 months, the forwards have obviously done a fair bit of work on their skills at training, but probably a little bit um, lacking in their confidence and, um, I guess, kahunas to, to pull them off in a game. Um, so I think over the past few months, starting to see that, um, I guess reap the rewards within games in terms of getting over the advantage line and making those little half breaks that make it up much easier for us as a back line um, has been one thing that I've really noticed. Um, but also I'd say the backs, um, probably just the ability to put in those attacking kicks on the edge. I think um, it's probably something that we still aren't using as much as we practice and much we'd like in games, but just being able to, I guess, um, identify when the fullback comes up or um, there's a bit of space in behind for those kind of little grubbers and little chips and kind of little cross-kick dinks that we can kind of run onto. I think um, just developing that in that game has been awesome for us to, to add to our repertoire. repertoire. Um, but also, um, yeah, I guess the next step is to be able to actually implement and successfully in games. Mm, okay. The, the final part of that, Craig, question, uh, last one. Craig's got a two-part question. He does. He Reece does. needs to got to get, get to lunch, Craig. Come on, mate. Double, Reece needs to get his uh, Melbourne Cup bits on. Double dipping here. Last one, NFL. Uh, are you an NFL fan? Uh, not huge, but I'll watch it occasionally. 
Okay. Well, there we go. That was a short show. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I liked that. That's I about as Craig's, much I can offer on NFL. Well. <laughs> Craig's part one was much better than part two. <laughs> much better. All right. Well, Reese Hodge, thanks very much for, for coming on the Fox Rugby pod. And Sam, as always, thanks for your company. Look forward to, to recapping it all come this time next week. And that's uh, a wrap. <laughs>